Well, hello, folks, and welcome to this episode of Folks Unfettered. I am your host, Gene Folks. And today, as you can see, I decided to take our program outside. I wanted to meditate and contemplate on some recent information that was brought to my attention by a dear friend of mine that leads to the emergence of which I decided to put out this podcast episode. I was asked to critique an article that was entitled um, A False Black Dilemma. And I am going to share with you my response to that article. Uh, I will leave the name of the person who authored that article um, blacked out. And I decided to entitle this podcast episode as White People's False Dilemma about the Black American experience. And we're going to get right into the meat of what I believe is a topic that has been retreaded over and over and over again uh, right after we uh, have our brief intro. So let's go ahead and get into it and uh, let's go. Well, thank you, folks, for joining me on this episode of Folks Unfettered. I am your host, Gene Folks, and I'm that brother of light, dropping wisdom in your left ear and knowledge in your right. Throughout this episode, you're going to get a little view of sort of where I am and um, how I am enjoying my day. Often, whenever I need to think about really tough topics, I uh, will decide to come out and meditate and reflect within nature, um, the difficulties that are often involved in this thing called life. So I'm going to go through the reason for the topic of this episode. I am probably going to piss a lot of people off. I don't really care at this point. Um, I believe that uh, whenever we're trying to educate and inspire and um, uh, edify one another, we need to really have tough, tough topics. So whenever you see uh, this title, I hope that you will click on it and you will learn something. And I will tell you that please do not mistake um, those moments of excitability and passion for anger. Although there are things called justifiable anger, uh, but I decided to really slap us all in the face with this idea that white people's false dilemma about the black American experience and how it actually does not positively impact the lives of African-Americans uh, in this country. And so I'm going to go through and read what I prepared as an intro. Uh, and then I'm going to go through uh, my response to some statistics and some information uh, that was presented to me and how I responded to that information in, a, in an effort to educate those of you who are not people of color to understand what it is exactly that we go through, which I believe you know, you just don't care. Uh, and also to my brothers and sisters to that of color uh, here and abroad 
to stop trying to uh, embrace and accept this false dilemma as far as it relates to our experience and who we are as a people. This is going to be, uh, I hope to be a very meaty conversation. Uh, it is in no way to be anti anything. In fact, it is to be pro our truth, pro the truth that we all know. And so I'm going to dig right into uh, this. Uh, I have my uh, notes on, on my um, Samsung Galaxy X23 Ultra. And um, I wanted to just uh, t tell you a little bit about how I, how I constructed this episode. Uh, so today we're going to talk about race, racism, and the black experience in America. We're going to talk about the false dilemma that white people often use to think about uh, the black experience. But in, in order to understand this, we have to get to uh, the framework of which I'm going to have this discussion. I have uh, learned about myself that uh, living in certain states like, like Texas, um, and, uh, that I have formed a certain amount of bias as far as it relates to how people address me as a man of color. And I did not realize that there were limitations placed upon me, or I did not, I was not willing to accept that there were limitations that were being placed upon me because I was a man of color. And a lot of time, I could, I, a lot of times I can be mistaken for being very easygoing and accepting, which I am, because I try to take an intellectual approach and being able to combat um, not only the institutional and systemic uh, 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 restrictions in place against people that look like me, but also the social and social economic assumptions that are made about me and my experience. And so I want to start the top of this episode basically openly, transparently saying that, you know, I didn't have a problem being a man of color or having a multiracial group of friends until this issue was consistently brought to my attention. And now I am beyond angry. Uh, I'm actually insulted and I'm actually disgusted with people that either are ignorant uh, willfully ignorant and not understanding the black experience in America. And that is at the personal level, as well as the governmental level, as well as the judicial level, uh, as well as the legislative le level, right? Which has always been our problem here in this country. And so I want to go down some, some really simple truths that I believe that we should all embrace. And so a false dilemma is a logical fallacy that presents two options as the only possible choices when in reality, there are other options available. For example, the statement, either you're with us or you're against us is a false dilemma. There are other options besides being with or against someone. So how does this false dilemma manifest itself in the black experience? One way that this false dilemma manifests itself in the black experience is the way that white people often think about black people's success. There is a tendency to think that black people can only be successful if they conform to white standards of success. This means that black people who are successful in fields like business, education or entertainment are often seen as being, quote unquote, exceptions to the rule. 
Another way that this false dilemma manifests itself is the way that white people often think about black people's suffering. There is a tendency to think that black people can only be victims of racism. This means that black people who are successful in spite of racism are often seen as quote unquote lucky or quote unquote exceptional. Why is this false dilemma harmful? This false dilemma is harmful because it limits the way that white people think about black people. It prevents white people from seeing the full range of black experiences, both positive and negative. It also reinforces the idea that black people are only victims of racism, which can lead to white people feeling helpless to address racism. How can we challenge this dilemma, this false dilemma? There are a few ways that we can challenge this false dilemma. One way is to simply to be more aware of it. When we hear white people talking about black people's success or suffering, we can ask ourselves if they are presenting a false dilemma. Another, if they if they are presenting a false dilemma, another way to challenge this false dilemma is to share stories of black people who are successful in spite of racism. These stories can help to show white people that black people are not just victims, but also agents of their own destiny. Now I set that up to say this. I get all that, and there's sort of the textbook definition of it. But when I was when I read to you my response to an email that I received that presented to me a lot of stats as far as it relates to my critique of a potential article, I began to really contemplate and think about what the person's relative personal relative experiences were because I've, I've known them for quite a while. And I wanted to address as best I could uh, some of the things that I thought was a dangerous premise based on the statistics that were brought to my attention. And so for your edification, I am going to read through some of the statistics that this individual shared with me uh, because they were doing some work within Planned Parenthood. And so... I wanted to go through this document, uh, obviously internally um, uh, omitting some of the facts that will ad identify this individual because I love this person and I've known this person a long time, but I also realized that it absolutely um, uh, pissed me off, <laughs> right? It made me angry because I think, how many times do I have to ask or be asked to critique this freaking issue as far as it relates to using the proper words, the proper priming language as it relates to the African-American experience. And I'm going to go off here a little bit um, in hopes, in, in, in my attempts to um, bring this to fruition. I'm, I Just bear with me for a second. I'm trying to bring up... Um, the here we go the document itself so i do not completely butcher uh, these statistics that were brought into uh, my attention and so here's some of the things that were noted uh, in the article um, that were highlighted um, and i will save you from um, the person's uh, uh, opening explanation and, and building a case Black Americans are per capita less financially stable than the average in American, 2021. The median income for black households was 
$48,297, according to the U.S. Census, Census Bureau. That compared with 74262 for white households, a difference of 25965 a 35% February 6, 2023, this data is based on. Black Americans per capita attained to a lower educational level than the average American. According to the Census American Community Survey in 2021, 12% of the total U.S. population identified as Black or African American, one among Black re residents aged 25 or over, 22.6% had earned a bachelor's degree or higher. This rate is up from the 17.9% in 2010, but falls short of the natural rate of 32.9%. Black Americans per capita have a higher incidence of single family homes, and most of these are fatherless homes. The percentage of the white children under 18 who live with both parents almost doubles that of black children, according to the data, while 74.3% of all white children below the age of 18 live with both parents. Only 38.7% of African-American minors can say the same. Instead, more than one-third of all black children in the United States under the age of 18 live with unmarried mothers compared to 6.5% of white children, according to the Census Bureau. Black Americans per capita have a higher rate of abortions than all other races in America. The most recent CDC report on abortion in the United States indicates that in 2016, the non-Hispanic black abortion rate, 25.1 abortions per 1,000 women aged 15 to 44, was 3.8 times the non-Hispanic white rate of 6.62%. Black Americans per capita own fewer businesses than the average American. In 2020, there were, there were estimated 140,918 U.S. firms with a majority Black or African-American-owned ownership, up 14% from 124,004 in 2017. According to the latest available data from the Census Bureau's annual business survey, ABS, those firms brought in an estimated $141.1 billion in gross revenue in 2020, an 11% increase since 2017. Despite this growth, businesses minor, majority owned by Black or African-American people accounted for only 3% of all U.S. firms that were classifiable by the race and ethnicity of their owners in 2020, and Black-owned firms accounted for just 1% of gross revenue from classifiable companies that year. By comparison, Black adults comprised 12.4% of the overall U.S. population in 2020, according to the Census Bureau. Black Americans per capita are incarcerated at higher rates than any other race in America. The nation's imprisonment rate is at its lowest level in more than two decades. The greatest decline has come among Black Americans. Where was I? I lost my place. Uh, apologies about that whose imprisonment rate has decreased 34% since 2006. While the rate of imprisonment has decreased the most in recent years, Black Americans remain far more likely than their Hispanic and white counterparts to be in prison. The Black imprisonment rate at the end of 2018 was nearly twice the rate among Hispanics, 797 per 100,000, and more than five times the rate among whites, 268 per 100,000, according to the Pew Research Center. Black American per capita crime rate is higher than any other race in America. In 2018, based on data from the FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting, UCR, program, black people were overrepresented among persons arrested for non-fatal violent crimes, 33%, and for the serious non-fatal violent crimes, 36%, relative to their representation in the United States population, 13%. Table 1. 1. White people were underrepresented. White people counted for 60% of U.S. residents, but 46% of all persons arrested for rape, 
robbery, aggravated assault, and other assault. And 39% of all the arrestees for non-fatal violent crimes, excluding other assaults. Hispanics, regardless of their race, were overrepresented among arrestees for non-fatal violent crimes, excluding other assault, 21% relative, relative to their representation in the U.S. population, 18%. Black Americans per capita have less access to health care than the average American. I'm not going to read that long-winded um, piece of it. And so it goes on and on and on. Now, if you are a person of color in America, these statistics are are not new to you. Some of them were surprising, quite frankly. I didn't realize um, that uh, I don't have the experience of a lot of people of color having abortions around me. Um, I tend to think of, of uh, black people as somewhat very, very conservative. And um, I wanted to uh, give you my um, exploration, my, my response uh, to um, to what I believe uh, is, and excuse me, I'm taking so many pauses because I'm trying to to calm myself when it comes to um, to to how I responded to this. And so I, I'm just going to give it to you straight. And so here's what I said. I said, and and, and my friends know me. I tend to soften what I'm going to say. And that has gotten me nowhere. And so I'm going to speak boldly. I am going to speak uh, openly and authentically about some of the most ignorant um, assessments or hypotheses that my white friends have made about the black experience in America. And so, folks, spoke your seatbelt, because here it goes. I may be saying something new, and I may be not. But this is just coming from me, and it was about, oh, I don't know, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. I said, thanks for sending this to me to critique. It's humbling you ask for my, quote-unquote, opinion on this. I said, phew, media article. So I like to approach things from a research perspective, looking at the framework from which the premise of a perspective originates. We cannot look at data and statistics without the ever-elusive human spirit. Before I get to the meat, I'll state this as the framework addressing my own potential bias as whites providing, quote unquote, research on the African-American experience, especially when they fail to address the root cause of the Africans' experience in America. How Africans are the only group in mass who were brought to this and other countries in chains, shackled like animals, and denied the basic of human rights. Conditions which continue, which actually continually exist today in what we claim is a Christian nation. It was missionaries who first approached these people with the Bible in one hand and shackles in another. I have matured to research and study the complete inability of my fellow countrymen to even desire to, quote unquote, set things right. Given the systemic nature of racism and the institutional mechanisms intentionally constructed to justify the atrocities committed against Africans in America. To that end, instead of looking at the issue in terms of black and white, Christians often fail to address the issue from a spiritual angle. So once again, we of African descent aren't even seen as Christians first, hence the segregation of black and white churches. Ever seen a majority white church with a majority black leadership? I haven't. So each point you make is connected. 
one cascades into another. This is a multidimensional discussion, and I will do my best to be as concise as possible. However, there is not a simple answer. From my perspective, this is a consequence of a multitude of sins committed by whites against their brothers and a condition of the heart of all people, black, white, and otherwise. For me, I started what I believe would set the basis for my quote-unquote critique. Uh, I was listening to a video you sent me entitled, All Pastors Need to Hear This. The gentleman was speaking, that was speaking was of Jewish descent. It fascinates me how open and willing we are to embrace, acknowledge, and want to do something about the Jewish Holocaust. We apologize for it. We want to stop anti-Semitism. We, quote unquote, respect their celebrations. And when Friday comes, no one questions their ability to shut down Friday and worship their Sabbath. In contrast, we mistakenly call the African Holocaust slavery, which is a more palatable word that is often equated to the Jews being enslaved in Egypt, which can be justified biblically. The actual more appropriate term is Holocaust, which the Jews do not own a monopoly on that word. White men would have breeding farms with black women. Even if they had a husband in the home, the biggest black men were sodomized by white men to instill fear in the rest. The Willie Lynch letters, if you read them, is one of the most disgusting treaties on how to mentally, quote unquote, enslave a people. In fact, Hitler stated that he modded his er he modeled his eradication of the Jews after American chattel slavery. Apparently, we perfected the model and it was exported. If you want to just look at the exportation of our chattel slavery system, just look at apartheid in South Africa. So I'll start at that point. What is to me recent history? Keep in mind, my American maternal grandmother was a product of a rape. She was blonde hair, blue eyes, and yet she refused to pass like her twin sister, my great aunt. I knew her and would listen to her and my grandmother's stories about what it was like in that time. So we have to get away from this idea that it happened a very long time ago. Another issue has been when discussing Africans in America, as I just said, is that it was a very long time ago. It was not. Here is the basis for how I would address the information. However, I will in no way sugarcoat atrocities in this country and her citizens and how they have treated my African-American cousins or myself. I will not excuse nor can I explain the individual choices made by people that look like me because we are not a monolithic group. In fact, we are the most diverse group people on earth. Americans called all different people black because of the complexity and the diversity of the peoples of Africa and the cultures and subcultures on that continent. My father is Jamaican and my mother of African descent. Two different cultures and tribes. Most African tribes wouldn't and still won't intermarry. It was white Americans that quote unquote crossbred different tribes like dogs. The African Holocaust and the Jewish Holocaust are both horrific events in human history that resulted in the deaths of millions of people. However, there are some important distinctions between the two events. I want you to take note at the difference between these two atrocities between my Jewish brethren and my African-American brethren. The Jewish people lost what, six million? And yet during the African Holocaust, it is estimated we lost 15 to 20 million human beings during the transatlantic quote unquote slave trade. They were forcibly taken from their homes and transported to the Americas. There are some that say they sold their own people. 
This highlights the ignorance and thinking that Africans are monolithic. Most tribes do not condone intertribal marriage between each other. So they would see each other as different peoples, not based on skin color, but culture. Think an Englishman and a German, different peoples. It's estimated because they weren't allowed birth certificates or names. They were simply property to be owned. The tribe I descended from, whose death, who chose death over quote unquote enslavement, apparently one of my ancestors must have gotten cold feet because here I am. Uh, so they decided to not be captured and spend decades in forced labor camps, torture and rape. Now, much like the Jews chosen for their quote unquote race slash religion, the line was crossed because the African was distinguished from poor whites by his skin color. Hence what makes it a Holocaust slash genocide amongst other reasons. I am getting to my point as it relates to your article. Here's a point of comparison. Read these two paragraphs below and note how you quote unquote feel, then make note of the connection. When you do, this should raise questions. I do the same with my African-American friends because we saw ourselves as Holocaust, Holocaust survivors instead of slavery victims. It would support a more cohesive approach to the issues you raise, as well as to connect us to our homeland, which is not only America, but also the continent of Africa. Here's a comparison. The Jewish Holocaust refers to the systemic murder of Jews by the Nazi regime during World War II between 1941 and 1945, four years, an estimated six million Jews were killed in concentration camps, camps or ghettos and other killing centers. The Holocaust was a deliberate act of genocide and it was carried out with industrial efficiency. The African Holocaust refers to the systemic murder of Africans in America by the American regime for over 200 years with an estimated 15 to 20 million Africans who were lynched, murdered, experimented on, denied access to land ownership, voting rights, medical care. Black cities were bulldozed. Women and children murdered. Laws were passed denying voting rights, wealth creation. Africans were regulated to ghettos in parentheses, a concentration, concentration camps, and are often killed at the hands of law enforcement when not incarcerated, receiving harsher penalties than a white person committing the exact, or in some cases, a more heinous offense. The African Holocaust was a deliberate act of genocide, and it was, is being carried out with industrial efficiency. Even though the African and Jewish Holocaust were crimes against humanity, the African Holocaust was a longer-term process resulting in a larger number of deaths, which continues today. You can fact check me on all of this. When I share this with my white, black, or Jewish colleagues, there's a moment. Everybody pauses. Everybody digests. Now they want to say what I say. Now, although the initial motivation may have been commerce, which is still the case, the motivations of racism and hatred would intensify. And the narrative to protect white fragility would be the national unofficial belief quote unquote, it wasn't me. I didn't enslave anyone. However, this history, these experiences and crimes against other human beings, then attempts to fail to even nationally address these atrocities has had and continues to have a profound impact on the Africans experience in America. Now, this doesn't excuse the personal choices blacks may make as individuals. However, if it's a choice of having a child murdered by a police officer, a police officer why have a child at all? When black men are discriminated against, denied employed, or access to affordable education, 
or denied access to financial resources so they can build an entrepreneur enterprise or they are easily accused of a crime and incarcerated with longer sentences, then you reduce the opportunities for black families to flourish. Heck, you abort the black family at conception. How each black person addresses these issues boils down to their connection to a higher power. For me, that's God. And yet, when the very people you think are fellow Christians, there's that point when it's race first, faith second. I mean, how many Christian whites use the N-word? Most likely a grandparent or relative begs to question the quote-unquote brotherhood we Christians profess. This is what goes through one, one's mind as a black person when asked awkward questions about race, when all you want to do is worship, walk down the street, drive your car, or do anything normal that other Americans do. In order to shed objective discussion of these topics you raise in your article, we must look at this from a multidimensional view. The problem of the individual and their connection to God or a higher power, for me, it's God. It's only God. This does not mean that blacks are less connected to God. That isn't the case. It just means that blacks are diverse, not a monolithic group. Secondly, we must consider the external societal conditions that affect blacks. And finally, we will not have a complete conversation without addressing the core conversation, which is this country's complicity in creating these conditions and then folding his hands and saying, it's not us, it's you. So in a nutshell, I'd break it down to make it more individualized, related to the overall spiritual affliction we all suffer from and resolutions to make things better. If not, then this would just be another article talking about conditions that would remain unresolved. I hope that helps. I'm not sure that's a critique as much as it is an, exhaust, an exhaustive exercise in how to go beyond the data, GF. Now, here's why I went into all of that. Because a lot of times we begin to, white America begins to create this false dilemma about the black experience in America that somehow disconnects their participation, their benefits, from the black experience in America. We cannot have faith in the data and the research by the descendants of the very people who put us, who interrupted our history, our, our centuries of history by robbing, stealing, raping, murdering people from their homeland, brought into a continent to be property, to make to be free labor, to instill laws that will restrict us from financial solutions to make do better for ourselves, to create our own communities, to build ourselves up by our bootstraps, to take care of our families, to live and be as human beings. Folks, the problem is not us. It's you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Folks Unfettered. We're going to get more into this. I just wanted to get this out because it, it was really weighing on my soul and my spirit. Uh, if it's a little rough and you want to not follow me or, or disconnect yourself from me on social media, I have more friends than I need already, right? If you want to have a debate or a conversation about these things that I raise and you're not a person that's black or you're a person that's black, and you don't agree with what I have to say, you don't agree what I have to say about it? Send me an email. Send me a message. 
we can sit down and go over the research. But here's the deal. I want you to go over it first because I know exactly what it is. I know exactly what it's coming from. And while I can read this research, <clears throat> like I said, you have to look at it from a multidimensional perspective, but you have to start at the core, right? You have to start at the root cause of this thing. So here we go. Folks, we have to address white people's false dilemma about the black American experience because at the legislative branch, at the judicial, at the judicial branch, and at the executive branch, they are making decisions that are eroding away our ancestors' hard won efforts in making lives better for all of us. And they are using recent immigrants such as Asians and Latinos to proxy fight us. Understand that the game is a lot more deeper than you think it is. I don't know what it is. It ain't my problem, right? And so if you if you want to have a false dilemma and say America, love it or leave it, or you're for me or against me, then you know, um, my podcast is not for you and you're not my people. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Folks on Fettered. And as always, I'm that brother of light. And I'll keep dropping wisdom in your left ear and knowledge in your right. I'm just going to do it with a team. Have a good day. Mm -hmm.